Yeah, like I reach out to Burton, um, to um, Camille Job. Yeah, I talked to Camille. (laughs) I talked to Camille. So I call Burton, I call Camille Scott Speck too. Yeah. And it's just like over the years, like I've just, they've become really, you know, good friends and stuff. Did did you go looking for that or did did it just kind of happen? No, it just like, I think just years of like, you know, running a small office and, and, you know, I don't have partners, right? Like I have my employees that are very close that I run ideas past, but it's kind of like, you know, there's certain decisions that you have to make that are, are tough. And, you know, just like, as, especially, I think that's what one of the advantages of like having a partner, right? And you have somebody yeah. you can trust like and bat and these things around. I just don't have that. And my wife can only handle so much, yeah. you know? So, um, but yeah, just, I think what I was going, what the point I was trying to make is that what I like about the sort of growing kind of, uh, landscape of podcasts is that it does begin to feel a little like community like listening to even if it's just like inside baseball stuff too like how architects run their offices or different decision making and stuff like that um yeah i mean it our our world specifically chooses to mostly speak about the glamour Right. right. In the final product, but, and then less about the mess yes. and less about the headache and right. less about the real pain right. of owning the sure. business or building a building or communicating, you know, between teams. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is really, which know, is like platform. 98% of That's right. Job. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, you're, you're right. Time, it's like sort of like the Instagram version where it's like, you only see the shiny, yeah. the shiny, pretty moments. By the time from, we get to photographs, man, I just don't want to go out there anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's true. The challenges. Um, I've actually discovered like this is it's not a podcast but a blog that's really cool called construction physics do you Mm -hmm. know this blog no Mm -hmm. you guys should check it out it's pretty amazing Mm -hmm. there's so little like i think what i would call like like really rigorous like academic writing on construction yeah and it's super interesting like he he goes really deep into like like why is it difficult to like you know, create efficient construction methodologies, like why is prefabrication not working? Hmm. And he goes through all of these like amazing examples of like companies that have started and failed mm-hmm. at like the prefabrication oh, really? thing. <laughs> yeah, it's super interesting. Construction it's physics. Yeah, it's called construction physics. Hmm. And he has this theory, which is like, camera, I'm kind of trying to paraphrase it here, but it's like, like uh, worse is better. In constru- mm. what he calls worse is better in construction. Yeah. And like one example he uses, which I think is super interesting, is like why stick framing is such like a prolific and ubiquitous construction and, and inexpensive construction methodology and and why, um, you know, the like why more efficient stick framing just didn't take off, you know, mm. like spacing like 24 inches on center and like, and it's such an interesting kind of perspective on construction and what he calls like, again, I'm like paraphrasing, but it's something like regional culture and construction, like, and, and the number of people that come yeah. together. But he, he has this really great way, can't remember his name, but check out the, the, um, the blog. He has this great way of kind of putting together and kind of illustrating like all of these complex factors is like why construction is still, because yeah. I think it's something you know, like we think about a lot. It's like, why is it that, you know, prefabrication or chunking and, and, and certain efficiencies in manufacturing have taken off. Right. Mm-hmm. But in construction, it's still, still, it's still why, why do you stuck. think that is? I'm, I'm, 
Well, again, I think it's like it, it goes back to this like construction. I mean, it's a number of factors, but one is that it's a um, a community of trades basically that comes together mm -hmm. to, to create something. And and something I've noticed is like you can have you know we'll we'll detail a certain way, like say in a house, we'll have a certain standard, like say casing detail around a door that we'll do it three or four times, and it's like never an issue. And then we'll mm -hmm. we'll meet one contractor, and it's just like they just can't get it right. Yeah. They keep fucking it up, and it's because you're you're dealing with a different group of people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but but he talks about it like the the construction efficiencies are difficult to achieve because you have this like kind of community of trades that is very regionally based, mm -hmm. right? Like Austin is a very specific market. Um, Austin, Toronto, New York, San Francisco have these very, especially like in residential construction, these very specific, very inflated <clears throat> market. Do you think that creates a resistance to that methodology of construction? I think that like. One one of the interesting things I find about, like, say, in residential construction, that you can have four sheets of drawings, right? Mm -hmm. And th that you can just hand it. And as long as you're dealing with, like, what we call, like, standard detailing, you're relying on a kind of um, inherited knowledge or, like, what they call this, like, community of trades to kind of put a building together, right? Like, you think about, like, a, even a standard kind of spec home has, like, hundreds of parts and hundreds of, like you know, sophisticated details, but that's not, that's just like, they're, they're implemented through this kind of shared knowledge. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the things is like, you know, in architecture too, that I find kind of interesting is if you deviate from that standard yeah. knowledge, even slightly, right. Then it just like prices kind of go through the roof and yeah. things kind of go off the rails. So, so one of the challenges as an architect, and and what what I think is kind of interesting about architecture is that we rely on that kind of like shared knowledge, kind of handed down from generation to generation, for better or worse, right? Yeah. Like, and again, with, with stick framing, it's just like you're relying on the framers' knowledge to put the building together. Mm -hmm. yeah. Commercial's a little different, right? Like you, you're following the drawings a little, little more clearly. So it's hard to quote innovate if you're relying on these. Like, yeah. It's like the idea of switching to like for, for a while there, like 10 or 15 years ago, I don't know who was marketing it, but like metal stud, like metal stud construction, you know, uh, makes a lot of sense to a certain degree, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, it's like how many framers have like a set of tin snips? They've got, like skill sauce, right? Yeah. So, so there's a number of different factors that are involved that are, that are you know, because but I do think that one of the challenges of architecture is that we have this delusion that we actually have control over those things. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like when really we don't. We're kind of like to <clears throat> yeah. bit players in a, in a much larger system. Um, but anyway, check out that. It's really, yeah. uh, I read like like 20 of them over the Christmas holidays. It's a real, what you're saying is real interesting because we talk about it all the time and that we, it's like a, it's like this paradox, right? That uh, we're, we're challenged to be some of the, some of the most creative and thoughtful people, you know, you know, industry, right? right? And, but yet we're stuck in this real traditionalism, traditional way of thinking, a way of talking, way of communicating, order of operation, and we just march to the beat. Right. Right. And for better, for worse, I think that architects, and maybe, I don't know if you agree or not, but we've, mm -hmm. we've, we've essentially been pushed down on the, on the food chain in terms of how do we, 
uh, in terms of that voice and in terms of the like the overall <clears throat> order of operation or the ideation or just the really the, the bigger picture right and um and so if we continue down that pathway we're just we just keep yeah just getting we're just main we're just maintaining yeah and so my question always is how do we change what are what are these right. subtle yeah. things that we change and yeah. how do we even write our contracts differently or how do we communicate with the builder differently how do we how do we propose that we form a team and, and instead of yeah. these individual components that will get the job done better and more efficiently right, right. so then we can be more creative right yeah no i completely agree with that i mean i'm actually have two minds there one is that i think it's a problem um in our profession that we still believe we have this sort of overall con con controlling view of you know of architecture and systems and things and, and an example of that would be like that we would have any agency over say like climate change or any agency over mm. um you know creating affordable housing mm -hmm. um like affordable housing is a great example because i know you i love doing that we don't get the opportunity very often you know, it's something we think about a lot, especially living in a city where now we can't really design for normal people anymore. Like even two or three years ago, yeah. I mean, I was thinking we used to have normal couples that we would design a house, cool architect design house for on a relatively not modest budget, but like doable budget. And that in the last three years, right, it's like staggering. Astronomical, right? yeah. It's just like if a lot costs a million dollars and it's like 1.5 to do a house, it's 2.5. I mean, I can't afford that. Yeah. Could you afford <laughs> that? So, but, but what I was going to say is that, that I do think there is a certain rhetoric uh, in the profession and academia that we have agency or control over those things. And I just don't think, I mean, I don't think we do really. And I'm not, I don't want to sound like discouraging or a downer. It's like take affordable housing, for instance. Like we don't have control over land costs. We don't, even if you design the simplest thing, it's like you can't design your way. It's not a design problem. Yeah. Right. The affordability crisis in an Austin is simply not a design problem. Yeah. If by the time you get, you know, you're looking at a lot like uh, just the cost of construction and stuff. Um, same thing to a certain degree with climate change. It's sort of like the recycling model. Um, where it's like the individual, it's got to be like a kind of global or a kind of larger systemic effort to tackle these problems. Um, and I think what the point I'm trying to make is like, I think you, what you're saying is right. There's like, we have a kind of, you know, bit part in the yeah. overall process. But, you know, if you look at like the kind of language coming out of AI Austin or to a certain degree in academia too, that we, that there is a sort of idea that we can, as architects, we can control, we can create like affordable communities and we can create like, right. you know, and it's just not true. I think yeah. that a lot of, um, so I think the first challenge is like understanding like what is our real role, right? Like what can we do, um, in architecture and in the world. And the, the other, so what I mean by being of two minds is like, there's actually, you know, as I've gotten older, I actually take kind of comfort and find it more interesting and reassuring that we have like a bit part. Yeah. Like I kind of feel like we're like mechanics or bus drivers or something. Yeah. And to me, I think it's a much more interesting role in the world um, to provide a service to people and in a, in a much like more like, 
when I think about like what we do in the office, I mean, people come to us and they have very specific needs, right? And we're providing that a service to design something for them, you know, given the system. And to me, I find that a very, I don't know, more interesting role than being like, the role of I don't know master over over the, the design of yeah. the world or something. It removes the ego and and puts it on an equal playing field in terms of the conversation because we are we're we're a service industry, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. A service industry providing like again like a mechanic, you know, um, somebody comes and they've got like a weird cool car and you help them fix it, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. and I think that's a more interesting approach. And I think from like a design perspective too, like personally, I find it more interesting to tackle these like quieter, more mundane challenges in, in architecture and in the world. Like, and and so I think like for me personally, like I've kind of shifted that perspective as I begin to kind of realize, cause you know, early in my career, and I'm sure maybe you were the same, it's like, I, I actually believe that we could, yeah. I actually believe that you could design, that it was a design problem, affordability. If you designed it right, you could make it really affordable and really cool. Yeah. And then it's just after trying a number of times and not, and failing at it, you know? So I think that to me, um, but there is a problem with this tension between like what architects perceive their role is and what we're actually doing, right? Yeah. Like I, I think we're like somewhere in there with the carpenters or whatever. Like, and I think about it a lot with trades, right? Like, because I do find one of the things I love about architecture is, you know, there are hundreds of people touch like any building, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's amazing, and and I'm always amazed. It's like the number, how li- little interface we actually have with those people. Yeah. Uh, yep. And I think. You know, we've both witnessed like there's like kind of outflow of interest and in, maybe it's like, I'm not sure why exactly. It's probably because tech is like so much more <laughs> alluring job or, co- you know, cost to go into. But like, th- like, I think there's there's not as much interest in becoming like a plumber or becoming like a, you know, like mm. 20 or 30 years oh, ago yeah. or like an well, HVAC. That's, that's across all trades. Yeah, across right all now. trades. I think about carpenters, right? So like our role, like if I think about like an ant, like when I find like who inspires me, it's like really good carpenters, you know, like, you know, in Austin, right? Like they were artists or they went to art school and they're like, you know, there are a handful of those people out there. Yeah, they're fewer the and masters, fewer. masters, yeah. Yeah, masters. Like I think about the opportunities we've had. Most of the projects we're working on like relatively modest budgets, right? Mm-hmm. So we're having, we don't, but occasionally we'll work with like a contractor, you know, and we've, you know, had the opportunity to like work with enabler, you know, yeah. and like, and, and, and those guys, I just feel like, wow, they're just taking our details and elevating. Right. You yeah, know, that's right. And, and to me, that's something when I think about like what I aspire to as an architect, I want to be like one of those enabler guys, <laughs> you know, as an architect that can have that knowledge and kind of, kind of yeah. like provide the kind of craft within a very specific context. Um, I think but, that's where the system is broken and it starts with our education, right? We, we, we start in in these schools where we're we're so insular and we're thinking about these creative ideas and and but we're not really thinking about how they get built or who builds yeah. them or how do we communicate across the board in order to make that happen like what's the total project and what's the total right time requirement or job requirement in order to make that one idea like there are these gar- yeah. they're huge projects you yeah, yeah. you have no business like I mean, it, it's good yeah, in, in a problem-solving yeah, way, yeah. but oh, Jeremy and I talk all the time about like <clears throat> I think the the system's broken because we 
we bifurcate or we just individualize these components in a way to when you get on the job site, especially a residential project or a commercial project, when you've got 30 different guys yeah. or people on a job site and they're all working together and they're yeah. kind of talking to one another, they're kind of have t- tunnel vision, but they're there. Yeah, It's like, we don't work like that. And I think there's a real cog in the wheel in terms of how yeah. we partner or how we work right. with the systems in order right. to make that happen. Do you mean like, we're not, I mean, we're not working with like the contractor or the builders closely. Yeah. And and you can say, oh, well, we do CA, but it's very formalized and what we do and yeah. the time we do it and how we respond. Yeah, yeah. And it's all dictated by a, you know, the, the, the contract. Like are most of your projects, like, are you bidding any jobs or are they like see them at risk where you have like a pre-selected contractor? We mostly partner early mm-hmm. and we're not a true design build but yeah. jeremy's on a lot of citadel's on a lot of right. our projects to where we yeah. we get them in early but and see we, that's awesome if you all have a relationship with a builder yeah. and you built things before because it's nothing it's the challenge is one of the challenges with architecture is the kind of one-off thing right where it's like every situation it's like new program new site yeah. new set of rules new contractor especially if you're like bidding a job you don't know mm-hmm. who the gc is until the CDs yeah, are that's done. We, we'll you almost know. shy away from those projects. But yeah, it's, for sure. It's just, yeah, it's it, impossible. It, that, that's that old way of doing things. Yeah. It just is broken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But you know, if you have somebody that you work, you worked with before and, and, you know, we have, you know, we don't always have the opportunity of picking our GCs, right? We can suggest people. And, but if you build, like, that's a relationship you got to build over years over yeah. several projects, yeah, right? True, absolutely. So when you, when you look at details, you're like, oh yeah, we did that or we fixed it. And it's one of the things I think about too in architecture that's hard is this like, we're, oh, everything's a prototype, right? Yeah. Like every building's a new building. I mean, and you think about manufacturing, like the first prototype for a car is like a hundred million dollar yeah. thing to yeah. make, right? And then number two is like 50 million. And then number 10 is like a million. And then by the time you work out the bugs, then you're cranking, right? And then you're getting make, getting them done for like 10 grand or whatever yeah. I don't know what the markup on cars is. But with buildings, it's like every one is like, wow, if I could do this two or three or four or five more times, yeah. <laughs> then you'd with really the work out group, the kink. Right? With, with the, the same, same people yeah. in the yeah. same group. So every time it's like brand new thing. Yeah. Um, it's also one of the kind of interesting things about architecture too. Sure. You know? Well. It's like, well, you talk about the mess, which I think is um, one of the things that you've got to like enjoy in architecture, yeah. you know? I mean, I think we all suffer from the same problem of being, you know, as architects wanting to control everything, right? And have like everything really kind of like refined and controlled, but then the reality of that, yeah. you know, during construction of, you know, it's hard for people. Like I have staff that are really inspired and fanatical at architecture. And it's just like, you know, when you go into a project and we, I'm sure, you know, many of my colleagues suffer from the same, you know, problem of like, all you see is the flaws, right? Like you walk into like, I I can't tell you the number of times I walk into in projects of friends of mine. I'm just like, wow, this is fucking amazing. (laughs) And it's like, they're pointing to the one thing. And it's like, dude, why are you showing me? And I used to do it. And my wife would be like, I got to tell you something. When you tour projects, you're like pointing out these minute things (laughs) that nobody really sees or cares about, you know? Yeah. And it's like, oh, this detail over here, we resolved, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We can't can't really appreciate our projects until months after for the same thing. It takes a little time. You can forget about where all the 
Yeah. All those things are, and then you can appreciate it for yeah. what it is. I have had moments where like I've had projects and, you know, we're close to the end and it's just, I feel like it's like a disaster. It's just like not coming together and the contractor wants to get, you know, and oftentimes it's stuff like we find ourselves in this position where it's like the homeowner is like, ah, it looks fine to me. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and even the, con the contract is like, thank God. Right. Yeah. And it's like, we're the only ones that really care about it. You know, and I've had projects where in my head, I've kind of written it off. It's like, okay, forget it. This project, you know, and then, you know, I had one in particular recently and, and, you know, we were right at the end and I was pushing the homeowner, like, hang in there. Let's kind of resolve these. And they were just like, they just wanted to move in. Right. They were like done. And, um, you know, it was punch list and it was like messy and, you know, everything dirty. It's like, you know, one of those projects where the contractor didn't really keep it very clean. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And then, so I went back like three months later after they had done the final punch, uh, they'd moved in and I walked into the space and I have to say, I was really blown away. I was like, I felt like, like what happened? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, this is fantastic. And all those little things that I was so like little panel, like, alignments, oh, yeah. you know what yeah. I mean? Like and little joints and just the way they had done the base, it had like just filled my head with this, like, this is awful. Um, it just was gone. I was like, I can't believe I was really worrying about it. Like the overall effect of the space. And a lot of it is, is the owner too. It's just like, you know, when, you know, like a homeowner who you're really in sync with, who is like this particular homeowner had like great taste, had like amazing objects, beautiful art, great furniture. They loved the house. They had little kids. They're like living in it. And, um, I walked in and it was like, it was like transformed. It was like a different project. Right. And then to me, then it was like really successful, but I do feel like like we wouldn't probably be doing the work we're doing if we didn't have that kind of obsessive worry <laughs> mindset, you know, about it. Oh, um, that's me now all the time. I, I don't know how I got off on that kind of tangent. But but again, going back to this idea, I do think about it a lot. Like, like we do, I think traditionally architects had sort of control over cities and design and systems. And I think there's two things. One is that we do have that diminished role, which I, I think I'm trying to personally embrace. Mm -hmm. Like again, mechanic or carpenter of like your one trade of many approach to it but also like things have the system and worlds have become much more complex yeah like in my first jobs i would we would be the civil engineers mm -hmm. you know we did all the civil design yeah we did wastewater we did water tie-ins mm -hmm. I, I would do yeah, grading right. plans um you know, and then slowly it's like, oh, who are these guys? It's just, yeah. Oh, it's an engineering firm doing site crating? What? Like, why are you getting engineered? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, that was a long time ago. It's like in the 80s. And then it's like, oh, yeah, civil engineers are doing, you used to only hire a civil if you had like really complicated, yeah. like problems to solve, right? Yeah, that's true. And then now it's just like. <clears throat> now we're individualized. You know, yeah, we're compartmentalized in terms of what we. Yeah. Is that what you mean by diminished role? Like, what, what, what do you, what do you mean by that? Well, our, in the old days, traditionally, like architects, you, you know, you had a, like a lot of controls, like this site doesn't work, use this site, like the, you know, owners would have architects on staff that would like kind of, you know, you design and you design cities. It was like a much broader kind of yeah. set of, um, I think, you know. <clears throat> yeah. I, I, and I, I, you know, the only things that we get to read are the masters, right. And the, yeah. and the masters were 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 choosing their clients and and they were choosing the site like Murray said and then they were and then they were really involved in the construction of the means and methods and they just had complete control. But you also had like <clears throat> less code too. So you were like 
you hired an architect because you wanted yeah. to design and build safely, right? So the architect was like, we'll do this because it's safer for fire reasons instead yeah. of being like code consultants, yeah. which we hire now projects. Yeah. It gets really complicated. Um, but yeah, diminished role in that. I do think like if you spend time at with with the professional organizations or if you spend time at, in schools, there is still this belief that the architect has control over the design of the world, right? Yeah. You know, that we can solve climate change and affordability and equitable communities and these super important social problems. And I'm looking at them like, we have so little control. And I think the the affordability thing is is really one of the challenges because it's just simply not a design problem. Yeah. You know, I don't know what you think, but. Mm -hmm. I, <clears throat> no, because, <laughs> you know, you, 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 there's the cost, like you were saying, there's a cost of the land. And if you were just to pencil out a box, a conditioned box, yeah. there's your, there's your solution, right? Because right. mm -hmm. that's all really that's needed. And, and I don't know what, you know, the, 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 you know, the placement of the, like the location of the site has anything to do with it. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, or the, or the amount of units that you can put on the site, maybe it does, maybe it do doesn't. But it's not necessarily about that. It's like we we did some micro homes for mobilos and fishes, and mm -hmm. and it was it was highly focused on the product on the house, but it yeah. but it wasn't right. It's not that. It's not about that. It, right. it, because essentially, there's a kitchenette and there's a bed, and right. you know there's 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 this shell that makes one feel safe and there's there's certain things in that in that world that makes one feel safe because it's a, it's a it's a, it's a different mentality but but really when you go and you visit it's what's between the boxes and how do they socialize and communicate and what do they yeah, yeah. what do they do outside of these boxes right because is it a economic thing or is it a consumer thing what what's the what do you think the challenge is yeah, economic, socioeconomic challenge. I mean, what, here, here's something interesting for me. I mean, living in Austin 30 years now or something. Yeah. Like when, how, yeah. You're from here, right? You're from Wapache, no, right? I, I am. Yeah, I am you're from Texas. Texas yeah. yeah, okay. Are you Texan as well? well? I was born here. Born here, okay. Yeah. All right, you got me beat. <laughs> um, but, you know, I grew up in Toronto and moved to New York when I was a teenager. Uh, so Toronto and New York are like, quote, home. Um, and... From the time I, I mean, I'm pushing 60, right? So from the time I was a little kid, I remember Toronto was like, oh my God, that house is so expensive. What? That's a million dollars for that thing? Like yeah. the, the notion of Toronto being expensive has always been there. It's always been like in the DNA of the that city. New York, same thing, right? Yeah. New York's a different story because I do recall it was like, oh, the, like you could buy buildings for a dollar. Like my sister who lives in New York, um, was a squatter in the eighties. Right. Mm. So she and her artist friends like took over buildings mm. and just lived in them. They were abandoned buildings. So not to go into a lot of detail, but because of rent control, right. Yeah. It was cheaper to what they call warehouse buildings. So owners couldn't renovate them. And even though land value and rents were very high in New York, always, um, it was more affordable just to leave them empty for them than to renovate them because the rents they could charge were too low, right? Yeah. Mm. So there were all these abandoned buildings and there's a housing crisis. So artists would move into these buildings and take them over. And she ended up moving into one. She lived in two and then seven and a half second ab for three other people she was in for like 15 years. And they actually got ownership of the building mm. eventually and stuff. Wow. Um, but so, but, but, but both New York and Toronto had these like, oh my God, it's crazy expensive. Yeah. But it was still affordable, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Why? 
Why? Whereas Austin has that, oh my God, that's crazy expensive, yeah. but it's not affordable. Yeah. So what's the difference between Toronto, New York, and, and Austin? Density it's a units. cultural thing, right? Like in New York City, you have rent control. Yeah. Right? In Toronto, it's a social democracy. It's a totally different system, right? Yeah. My friends in Toronto will be like, you're crazy. Toronto sucks. Like the economy is terrible, but it's a different socioeconomic system. So first of all, like it wasn't taboo to rent, right? Yeah. If you rented and you were like a family, people were like, what's wrong with these people? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like well, they don't have money to buy a place. Yeah. Like that's the first thing. It's like a mental thing. It's like renting was a normal way to rent's fine. You don't have to buy. Yeah. There was no pressure to like buy a place. Yeah. Um, because you had these other mechanisms. Toronto's the same way. So you've got like co-ops and you've got like rent to own and you've got all of these other mechanisms, different mortgage structures to uh, to live. So, you know, if you were really wealthy, you could buy a place like, you know, in the 80s or 90s, a million dollar house in Terra, mm -hmm. build it in Toronto. But you had all these other ways of, of um, you know, affordable ways of living. Whereas here in Austin, um, you know, it's kind of like, that like, oh my God, I'm ever gonna be able to afford to buy a place. Yeah. Cause you can't like renting is kind of like, there's no protections for renters or anything. And there's no other options, right? Yeah. Like there's no, um, you know, like pretty much in Austin, it's like those little bungalow starter houses. Like that's the interesting thing about Austin. Austin used to be an affordable, when I moved here, it was an affordable city. It's the reason yeah. why I stayed right. really. I moved from <laughs> New York and I was like, my friends were like artists and filmmakers and stuff and nobody had jobs. They were just doing their work. Mm -hmm. And I went from paying like my loft in Williamsburg, the rent I was paying in the nineties is more than my mortgage is now. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, um, so it was, it was affordable. It was a city of affordable, like there were crappy little bungalows, but they were affordable. You could yeah. buy one for like 90 grand. I remember like 35 grand around the block from where I lived. It was like $35,000 you could buy a house, right? Yeah. And now those are what, like six, seven hundred? <laughs> At least probably. You know what I mean? Who can afford that? Yeah. Like unless you work for Google or like whatever. But um, so it's a problem because also like I'm, I don't know if you're finding it, but like I'm finding it too. Like when we're interviewing people, young creative architects that want to work for quote unquote creative office, uh, they're like, dude, I can't live here. <laughs> I know. It's yeah. like, I would interview people from all over the country, right? Like we interview people and they're like moving to Austin. It's like, whoa, I was checking out rents. And yeah. I need to make like a lot of coin to yeah. live in your city. Mm -hmm. yep. You know, whereas in the past we could be like, I'm staying in Austin because it's affordable. Yep. Like cool, like creative people would be like, want to stay here. I can afford to live here and yeah. it's a cool city. So now I'm facing it. It's like, please stay, don't move. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, don't go stay. You're really good at what you do. And you know what I'm saying? It's yeah. a bit of a problem yeah it's it, it is it it's uh we got on a on a segment for a while to try to find housing for our employees yeah right, right? for people yeah. moving into yeah. town that right. and and we were successful in some ways but there's still really no options and all the young people want to live in in the cool spots mm -hmm. yeah, places yeah. where they right. can socialize they don't want to go you know too yeah. too much further out of out of town so and what commute or like you know <clears throat> yeah right like and work and, remote or whatever and then you know there there and there still is like the competitive there so there's there's a cost of living and there's the competitive competitive salary range which we we can't compete to yeah. some of the other folks and if they want to live in Austin then yeah. there's the salaries to support mm -hmm. it and, yeah uh, yeah it's true and I do think though like I think a lot about that too like you, and like in our profession you used to be able to make like 
okay, we're a small, quote, creative studio. I mean, we really pride ourselves on like not working crazy hours. Yeah. Like, I don't know about you, my first jobs, I was I'll like at the office out. until midnight. Yeah, same here. Like, I remember once like the people we were officing next to, they were a developer and they were like, I remember the guy saying, wow, man, you were here. You were the last person here because I left the par- I left at 10 p.m. and your car was here. And I came in this morning. You were the first person here. Yeah. And I was like, dude, I stayed all night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like literally, you know, like yeah. I didn't sleep. I was like working all night, like routinely deadlines that were like unrealistic and stuff. And it's just the way old. But like we, I, I really think, and I used to have like a lot of anxiety about, I don't know about you, but like feeling like the office needed to be productive and work harder and work more and that more meant better. But I kind of like backed off that and really like we don't, we, I don't, can't think of the last time. I mean, I work all the time because I like it, but like, I can't think of the last time the staff worked over a weekend or past like no. 6 PM <clears throat> in the office. We like, don't, we really don't do that at all. Yeah. And yeah. <clears throat> I enjoy life too much. Like my brain's all, always working, you know, yeah. whether I'm in the office or not. And right. it's just, you know, that we own a business and that's just kind of yeah. the thing that we have to do most cases. Um, but I, I, even culturally these days, you, that doesn't work. You know, yeah, if yeah. you, if you have a staff and you ask yeah. them to work continuously yeah, it's over just, whatever the, you know, five or six yeah. and they, even on the weekends, it just, it's going to break. Right? Yeah. It's yeah, not like, that's right. not our culture anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a really good thing, right? <laughs> it's actually, I think yeah. it works better, yeah. right? Like, I don't think putting more time into it actually makes it work no, better. Um, I think it, you know, what we try to do is be more efficient in some way. Yeah. Right? I mean, there's no reason why we can't get our work done in the, in the hours that we have during the day. Right. And if we can't, then we have to communicate properly about what that means. Right. Either it's internally or it's to our clients or the builder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and that conversation there forces you to really forecast what that project means and how you're going to get the work done. Right. And, um, and sometimes those conversations are difficult because it's clients that don't want to hear that things are going to be delayed or they're too costly or whatever, but you know, shit's hard. (laughs) Yeah. I know. know, It's like, what do you want? To like, yeah, just like crank shit out. But the point I was going to make is like, there used to not be as many big corporate offices here. Part of it is a remote work thing. Like now people can work anywhere. Right. So you can have like, so there's like a lot of like larger corporate offices in Austin that do pay more. Yeah. Right. Um, But they also like, you know, they're going to hire like a dozen people and they're going to fire a dozen people and things, you know, so it is harder to make the argument though that you're like small creative office and you can't pay as much. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> it just is kind of like lost on people, which I totally understand, right? Like, it's not like we're not paying. I mean, we tr- I try, it's one of my goals is to try to like always like increase, you know. Well, what, what a, it- Try to be competitive and, you know. What it also is, is a, it's a better education, like our, our architecture and, and construction that that's, you're, you're not going to, you're not going to get that in a couple of years. Right. And there's so much that you need to know all across the board that yeah. that mentorship and that education in a small shop or what, that's yeah, how yeah. we sell it. it yeah. It's like, it's invaluable. Yeah. Like that's, mm-hmm. you can move that, you can scale it wherever yeah, yeah. you want to go. Yeah, I agree. And if you do it correctly, you can, you can hold on and, you know, and you, and you can mentor those folks and grow them right. into whatever they choose to be. But yeah, I don't know how much people, yeah. I don't know how much people value that, but 
Well, I think some people yeah. do. Like I do think like, I'm sure your office is similar to ours. Like, you know, you're working with a couple of people on a project. You get to go to client meetings, right? And meet- See everything. Hear, you see everything. <laughs> yeah. You get to hear all like, I, I try to be as transparent as possible. Like the staff, like all the contracts, like everything. In my old office, they had the contracts were like under lock and key, right? Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Like- you had no idea yeah. what the fees were yeah. or what your billable rate sunk was. hours into it. And, and you know, all this, you know, suddenly the principal would come and be like, we need to get this done on Friday. You know how many hours we spent on this thing? And I'm like, what? I have no clue. <laughs> Did I, was there a budget of time? Like, you know, so I try to have a conversation with people about yeah. um, that. But um, yeah, so. How do you, um, you know, we, Jeremy and I talk about often that, um, you know the going back to the how the system is 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 broken in a way that the even in school you know i always tell the story whenever i taught it at AM, i i got offered to teach a class that was a design build class and then we got a twenty thousand dollar grant to to for me to take 10 architecture students and eight construction science yeah. students. And, and our task was to design and build a house, a, a tiny home right. in three and a half months. It's crazy. Yeah, right. These kids had never picked up a nail gun. No, they had never done anything. And so- Sounds dangerous. But <laughs> it, was, it, was, yeah. it was fun danger. But, um, but when they showed up in the classroom, they immediately set separately you know the architecture kids are over okay. here the construction science kids are over here yeah and they had these stereotypes of one another that was okay. that was already broken yeah yeah and so the the switcheroo was all right well construction yeah. side science kids you design it and yeah, yeah. architecture kids you're gonna you're gonna budget it and make sure that things right. are coordinated and and so it's like yeah, well, yeah. i think we we still teach those traditional yeah. methods and ideas that are just sure. broken yeah <clears throat> and so i still feel it like i mean i don't know it took me like 10 years of yeah after i was out of school and i was in construction before i like was really understood some of the basics of detailing <laughs> you know flashing like took me now we draw flashing details yeah Right, like I love brake metal flashing details. Yeah. Like I think it's like a, it's one of those trades like art. Like yeah. I don't know if you know Brian Fuller, mm -hmm. Straight yeah. Solutions. Yeah, yeah, he's awesome. Like we actually get him in the office to consult with him on detailing. Like yeah, you know, I forgot about Brian. his flashing details are amazing. I remember we did this one project with him, and again, it was like one of those moments where I kind of like half-assed drawn. I had no idea what I was drawing. Like flashing details, like on a curving roof, and it's like. They did this thing, it was in copper too, right? And I was like, it's the first time, first job he worked on. I was like, wow, it's a thing of beauty. It's like so yeah. beautifully done. The nosing and the way the brake metal was hemmed and the way they radiused it so you didn't see the kinks and everything. I think and, that could uh, be the thing though, is we we don't ask, right? Mm -hmm. We don't say, yeah. hey, I don't Curiosity, know how to do yeah. this. Yeah, right. <laughs> can, can you tell me how to, how would you do it? Or what's your trade? Yeah, say? Yeah. Can we yeah. get those trades? Because come out on a job site. And I do remember when I was younger, feeling quite awkward. Like I was the architect and you know, yeah, you have this presumption know everything. of knowing everything. And it's like, I had no freaking clue really how things go together. I still don't really, like sometimes yeah. I'm still yeah. kind of clueless on like, is that the stucco assembly? Wait, yeah. does this, wait, does this go here or there? Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but yeah, going back to this idea of the construction, 
I don't know. That's a really kind of tricky question because I do think that it is there is a healthy distance, right? Too like I think not knowing is also kind of can be useful. Mm -hmm. Like I think as an architect, you're you're you know you're sometimes you're thinking about different things, right? Like you're thinking about the end product and you're thinking about a certain effect, right? I think about like theater, like. Like if you're a playwright, you're thinking about the emotional core, the like the effect you're trying to get mm -hmm. on the audience, right? The illusion of the actor and like in a, in, a, in a really successful play, right? You're transported, you're moved. It's just like an empty blank slate, right? Lighting that's set, and you you want to convey that feeling of something meaningful or poignant or powerful right like you know i don't know watch the holdovers yeah have you seen mm -hmm. the movie yeah that's a good one i haven't it's just such a beautiful story right and i'm thinking about like that's this that's like like alexander payne was trying to convey something in that have you seen the movie Hold, uh, not watch yet, it no. yeah it's really good paul giamatti it's just mm -hmm. a very touching story like at first i was kind of put off by the whole thing it was like prep school white guys in a press like yeah. who cares yeah, you know but powerful. it's a very poignant story and we watched it twice um and i'm thinking like okay for alexander payne it's like he's conveying like that ending is so poignant yeah you know and it's like does alexander payne know how to have to know all the technical things of the lighting and it's like yeah. he's got to yeah. focus on like the performance of paul giamatti that amazing kid yeah. and and is this such an amazing like trinity of people in the emotional content. And I think that's like such a, and for an architect, I think like good architecture conveys a certain kind of feeling or energy or, you know, when, when you go into a good space, it's like transporting, right? Yeah. And it's like the quality of light and the material. I mean, the way it goes together, the kind of nostalgia it can evoke. And it's like, does the architect need to know what the mortar mix is for the brick? I don't think so. I think, and there I needs think to it be actually some... could bring you down. Like, I think that, I think you could actually, if, like, if, if Alexander Payne lost that performance, like, and, but knew all the technical things, like, would it matter? Yeah. No, right? Who gives a shit? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I mean, so I'm, I mean, at the same time, I do feel like, like, I do think you can elevate the work through the detail and through knowing how things go together, right? But, yeah. So well, I was going to say, I think there, there needs to be a little overlap. And I, I'm speaking from a contractor, a lot of times, if, if we know what your vision is yeah. and, we, and we, we get a little feedback on that, yeah. it's yeah, better. Because yeah. a lot of times, you know, something will, will be drawn or designed and there's no real discussion of, of the why. Yeah, yeah. Then, you know, there might be something that, that we think, well, that won't work. And, you know, a lot of times the architect will be, that's just the way it is. You got to do it. Yeah. And so there's there's some uh beauty in the collaboration yeah, yeah. go back to what we're talking yeah. about is let's let's we need to understand kind of what we're going think, for i think you nailed it though i think the problem is that for most architects there is no why mm -hmm. yeah i think i think like i always said think about this like if you know i like for all of my talk about like worrying fretting over little details and stuff i actually don't give a shit as much about like yeah. i mean i'm thinking like it's much better it's it's better if the overall if like the overall effect is there it who cares if like it's you know engineer flooring treads on a stair that don't look very yeah. good up close like it's but i think i think the challenge is like first of all it's like what is the why in the architecture 
um does the architect even know what the why is (laughs) or and it's like or is it something you're discovering like sometimes we don't really discover that until the kind of the end of the job Mm. they're like oh sure yeah so justified um but to go back to your question i do feel like i don't know it's hard because having taught in architecture school you've taught um there's just like i don't know like if you can teach detailing I don't know. I mean, so, uh, I guess I guess my question is like how that – what you talk about the separation in the room between like the construction science kids and the architects. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I do, I do feel like there could be a curriculum where you're sort of learning detailing or you're getting a little bit more knowledge on how things are built. But uh, I think – But I'm just not – I'm not sure what that would look like. I think that's where it's all – What you said is real important in that we don't need to know everything, but we do need to know how to, how to assemble the minds in order to get the thing done. Yeah. Right. And so the lack of understanding how to communicate and coordinate and know when to assemble those minds in order to get the system complete is, is what we should be focused on in a way, because we shouldn't, they're so complex. There's no way that we can keep all of the yeah, little yeah. nitty gritty and yeah. more, I mean, it's, it's like, it's nuts. Yeah, the having amount the right of people. stuff that. Yeah. It's like knowing like when I, it's suddenly a light bulb went on my head. I was like, oh, let's just like, wait, it's like, we don't know how to flash this. Let's get yeah. Brian in the office. Right. Who's right? like, a, you know, real pro at, you know. But then you, you think back, okay, well, here's another traditional method of contracts. Like w- what are we liable for? Yeah. So if we're if we're intent driven and our documents are intent driven and we have this really beautiful process with how we collaborate and how we how we get these projects done, then you go back to this old ass AIA document that says architect is responsible for all of these oh, things. Yeah. And if it's not in your drawings, then you're gonna get sued. Yeah. Like all these things are intertwined in a way that makes us perform or makes us respond in a drawing format that is just not, it's not not ideal anymore. We stopped using AI agreements. Mm, I try, but (laughs) geez. Well, because I mean, they're for smaller jobs, but like we have, we've crafted a contract with our attorney that actually has more of that sort of responsibility to the contractor is responsible for more stuff. But again, it goes back to this idea of like, if you want like, that's the diminished responsibility thing, yeah. right? So, you know, it's like we used to cost estimate. Do you cost estimate? Yeah, anymore? right. And that, well, I mean, that's why we Never try to partner our early. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you, I mean, we used to do it. It used to be like in our contract to cost estimate. And we, but all, what we'll do now is like we'll show people real examples like in 20, you know, I don't know, when we bid this in 2020. Yeah. Sure. This costs like 1.75. It's things have gone up, what, 30%? Yeah. Like, we'll show examples of what things cost in the past, but like yeah. when it comes to like cost estimating, um, you know, I just say it's gonna cost more and take way longer than you think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's like our commitment to. Well, um, I think that early cost estimating is something that we've been trying to collectively yeah. do. And that then um, solidifies like the working relationship because. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We can cost estimate, but we're not gonna we're not gonna get too terribly close. But we can talk about the intent and work with the builder, yeah. and and do that as a collective mindset because it requires that. It doesn't yeah, yeah. one one body of of 
uh, one, one group can't do it on their own because yeah. they don't know the intent and we hand them a set of drawings that are not yeah, yeah. detailed enough to where they can't. Yeah. It's just like, I, mean, I tried, I tried to take this approach cause for years we worked in this way. Um, like in my, when, when I worked in offices, we were always caught in the same problem of like the budgets were too low. Expectations were too high. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, no matter how good a job we did, we always set ourselves up for failure, right? Yeah. And it's a certain old school mindset of like, you had three million, but don't say you have three. Say you have two, right? Yeah, right? That's right. And you know what I mean? So the budget's two, even though you know it's gonna cost three. Right. So you're like, and everyone kind of knew it. Too. Everyone kind of knew it. Like, and we would work, and I won't name clients, but like for big um, public clients that built, hundreds of projects and it was always the same game it's like 1.67 is nowhere near this is double the cost and everyone would be like mm -hmm. so anyway and they would just like not address a budget right and so what happened would be we would always fail hmm. even though we would come in at like 1.9 which was like a screaming deal for the building the budget was 1.6 right and and so like and now like in our office we try to do this other thing where it's like let's establish a budget and in two years when the project's done you should have money left over, right? Yeah. Even if it's a super painful number, yeah. right? And it's a different like approach. Like and some people think like I think like if you say it's three then they're going to spend three. If you say it's four you're going to spend four, yeah. which is a weird kind of like psychological position. But it's way too stressful. You know what I mean? It's way too stressful. Yeah. And I I do think there is a certain um, I think culture with with some contractors, with some architects of like, kind of like, don't scare the bunny. Like, yeah. oh, your budget's too, hmm, that's interesting. Don't tell them that. <laughs> like, oh, well, we'll look at that. And you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and, which, and, and I think from a client's perspective, they don't hear you saying that's not enough money. They hear like, they're not saying no. And right. so there's a sort of like expectation. So, but like what, what I try to do now is just be like, like is brutally, just really, really transparent, really honest with people. And, you know, sometimes we lose jobs because of that, because, yeah. you know, but I, I'd rather be in that position. Like you should, if you have a budget of two, you should be at the very end, have like 1.95 left, yeah. right? Or whatever, whatever that is. And it's, it, it, you know, and I think like what I found, the interesting thing is like, that clients will, they seem like much happier at the end, even though like, cause you're sharing the bad news in the beginning, yeah. you know, yeah. um, cause you're being really transparent and honest with them. And like, we've had projects where the clients are just shocked, like even say a little addition, like a little addition remodel job, 500 grand. It's like, are you yeah. kidding me? Yeah. We're just adding a bedroom. <clears throat> I know. And I'm just like, I, I know it shouldn't cost this much. I'm just showing you here are examples and like, are you designing it? Is it too complicated? And I try to explain, these are like really modest contractors, just a guy in a pickup truck. He's not his markup, but you know, I'll show them examples, right? And that's the best we can do yeah. is just say like somebody out there might be able to do it for way cheaper. But, and I just think like that, that's an approach that I've taken that is like hard because we've lost some really sweet projects because, yeah. you know, I come in, Mr. Gloom and Doom, yeah. like, you know. And <laughs> Call those civil engineers. Yeah. <laughs> right. Can't do it. Yeah. Like, so, but I'd much rather be in that position of, yeah. of just like trying to be honest with people about where we have control and where we don't. At the same time, I do feel like, like if I look back at like our favorite projects, they're the ones with the tight, really tight, modest budgets. Yeah. Like, the yeah. constraints. Yeah. Constraints. Yeah. And like trying to do something really cool and keep yeah. it really small. And like yeah. the project will that, you know, 
um, that little house yeah. like that we showed, like a really, that was like three, then like 300 bucks a square foot or whatever. And, you know, really small and really compact and efficiently designed yeah. and stuff, repeatable maybe, I don't know. Yeah. But those, I love those projects, right? Like mm, where you're yeah. trying to, you don't have um, infinite, you know, amount of money and yeah. stuff. But so, uh, but yeah, going back, your question is about like that, I think that tension between, and again, it go, it, I think it goes to recognizing like a role as an architect, um, the tension between like what you not like, and I think you, you, you know, it, it takes a lot of maturity as an architect to go like, I, I really don't know, yeah. <laughs> you know, can you guys help me here? Yeah. You know, you're with like the concrete sub, the rebar fabricator, right. right? And it's like, we have this project in Dallas that has this, we're trying to do in concrete, this is a compound curving shell. We've done a bunch of park pavilions in Dallas out of steel. And we are like, let's make this one out of concrete. And it's just been really hard because it's compound curving rebar. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, we've had a really hard time and had to work with the concrete contractor to find a sub that can bend compound curve. You know, huh. looking at it, they're like, I have no idea yeah, how we give would me bend a model. <laughs> where, where does the tension come from, you think, though? I mean, we, we... But that's an example of like where it's like we drew something that literally nobody knew how to build, yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, so you have to kind of get in the weeds and, and be a little bit more involved in like, mm -hmm. which was fun. We were actually did drawings. We did like Rhino model drawings mm -hmm. of all the rebar, which you'd never do, right? Draw rebar was the last time you yeah. drew rebar yeah. and sent it to, and then got in touch because the concrete sub uh, was was um, subbing out the rebar fabrication, mm -hmm. right? So we got in touch with a company in Houston that did the rebar and we had like, we got to have like a conversation with him. We sent him a bar and he's like, oh, okay, well, we could probably bend that one. Yeah. <laughs> There's like 500 bars are all different. Yeah. We could do that one. It's like, yeah. okay, phew, yeah. they could do one. Yeah. So we kind of worked that way with them. Whereas like just sending it out, people were like, I think what happened was with that project was that people were like, uh, no, like they would just look at it and be like, forget it. It's too hard. Or I don't know how to do this, you know? So. Well, it takes a t proper team. It's like the pitch. We had never yeah. done that before. And yeah, the way that we got through it was not us drawing it first and then right. passing it on. It was us sitting at the round table with, with Jeremy's team and right. the steel. You, you all built it? Steel yeah, guy. Cool. Congrats yeah. guys. This is a really right. beautiful you, project. And, yeah. But it was, you know, passing models back and right. forth just to see all right does this work or does it not yeah. work well, that challenge and then that collaboration in turn was yeah. what made that really That's enjoyable yeah, more and interesting was, and fun. oh yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. And, then, and then you all have more investment in the actual like process yeah. and the design and detailing and i think that's the way to go right like any close collaboration with a contractor I mean, well then we had an owner that was that was yeah. open-minded as well yeah he trusted kind of, the team yeah. yeah yeah and and i think like for for me and i'm sure for you too that i mean i think the most satisfying jobs is where the owner's really into it and invested yeah. and yeah, have ideas right. and the builders really into it. And it, it is like a group effort. That's it. There's alignment, the only way to go. right? There's alignment with all the, yeah. all the people involved. Yeah. yeah. And that's the projects we look for. It's not necessarily, yeah. oh, we want to do a hotel or we want to do this right. thing or yeah, this yeah. thing. It's it could like, be a doghouse. Doesn't right. matter. Can, yeah, how right. can we assemble this team that we like? Yeah. Yeah. yeah right? Cause sure. it's, it's hard work no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> no yeah. matter how big or small. Cause you've had this experience like drawing something and like, 
having contractors look at it just like i just don't want to build this is too (laughs) hard or weird or you know and it doesn't take much to you know but to find people that are and we have this like little primer when it comes to like hiring contractors we send owners and it's like things to look for and like number one is like enthusiastic about the project right not like this looks hard (laughs) or you know too difficult and i think that's like such an important thing you want somebody who's enthusiastic um you know about it yeah are we? We're out of time. Yeah. We, all right. Cool. I don't know. I mean, uh, we could probably talk for another yeah, hour. Yeah. Right, right, right. yeah keep going. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the I was going to say too that the, I mean, to that point, there's there's a national. I think they're national. There's a national framer that we've done work with a couple uh-huh. of times that they won't touch our drawings because no. they know it's going to be too uh, oh, too yeah. difficult. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't uh, want that reputation like, either as an architect of being like, oh, difficult means expensive. And, you know, so it's one of the challenges of working on things of like varying. Yeah. Like we have projects in the office that are like super low budge, right? Like, you know, st- mo- really modest, like we have to do stick framing and cement board and even yeah. plastic wind, like really, really modest. Then we have other things that are like, you know, $1,500 a square yeah. foot and stuff. So it's just hard, like, cause you have this, you get this percept, you don't want to be perceived as an architect. No. It only does like <clears throat> we really expensive We didn't think fancy we were, things. but <laughs> apparently we <laughs> yeah. But uh, at any rate, but, you know, um, Man, that was really yeah. nice talking to you. Yeah, yeah. And, Thanks for the invite. Yeah, yeah appreciate thank it. you for like, coming yeah, and just sure. riffing on whatever comes to yeah, mind. Right. That's, yeah, yeah. That, kind of that, freewheeling conversation. I think, I think that's what it's about. And yeah, um, you know, it reminds me too. Like, it could be equally as nice to to get a group in the room. You know, we'd probably need more than an hour, but just like, talk about some of these complexities about what we do and how we do it because. Yeah. What is missing? What I what I used to have when I lived in San Diego, it was it was a lot richer of a of discussion. But when I moved to Austin, I don't have. Oh, really? Okay. I don't have a lot of. Okay, you had more that, people you could talk. Yeah, to right. So. It's not. It just didn't just didn't seem that open. And yeah. part of it could be me now. I'm a little bit more insular yeah, and yeah. whatever else is going on, you know, family and whatnot. But yeah, like that conversation is really important, and hopefully this platform you know, will yeah, open some of those doors. Yeah, so yeah. appreciate it. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Thank you. I, I always, especially when we have guests in that are on the design side, I, uh-huh. I learned so much, you know, <laughs> and, and, you know, one of my big takeaways now from you is just that, you know, there's that you, you feel like you've got this obligation to solve these big problems. Yeah. And I've never, I've never considered yeah. that that's, that is, I can understand that's part of what mm-hmm. you guys are doing, right? Yeah. Like, that's a burden. I don't know how good a job we're doing, <laughs> but I mean, yeah. yeah. That's a thankless job. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, no. Well, I don't know. There's some like movement, right? Like I do feel like the city has like I love the fact that the parking requirements are Yeah. You know that's right. I mean? They well, in the last what you know, four, the three unit four thing, months people, they've moved yeah. much more than they have over the past I know. fifteen years. Yeah. So there's some <laughs> some movement. I don't know how if it's gonna make much of a dent in the affordability thing. Like the three unit thing, maybe I'm well market know. will dictate, yeah. you know. Yeah. I mean, we've had some clients come to us. So we have like one property they want to do nine units and yeah. another property they want to do three. Yeah. And then there's compatibility that they're looking at. And yeah, yeah. Like compatibility density issue. site plan thing. Yeah, yeah. Affordability unlocked. And yeah. So there's, there's some, some cool stuff, but yeah. they need to go further, you know, yeah, in yeah, order to solve sure. this mm-hmm. affordable crisis. Yeah, I know. I'd love to do like, it'd be cool. We think about it like on an 8,000 square foot lot. Like we haven't actually tackled it, but like what three or four or five units would look. I don't know if you've, have you done yeah. that yet? Like in a SF 
three, mm. oh. you know, like typical neighborhood, like what three units could look like or. We're actually doing one now that's four units under affordability unlocked. Okay, cool. And there's. Where two of them small. are like market rate and two are like. All of, it's a hundred percent affordable. Okay. Oh, wow. And, um, and there, each one is. 1500 square feet or less 1200 square feet or less so oh that's nice and there are just subtle changes in the plan and very cool um what kind of neighborhood is it in it's east austin off carver so it was donated land so it's all needs to be sensitive to the neighborhood and the culture around how are those funded like is it like a not for profit that it actually affordability unlocked they, okay they'll they're they're funding oh really you know, okay portion so of the project the clients the city or client is a non-profit group okay, ARA. Non-profit, okay. yeah okay yeah. right right yeah so yeah. um it, it is like you know the 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 task is well what does a two-story box cost right and you start there and say yeah it's expensive because they're so small <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know the, the Economy of scale is a yeah. tricky part with yeah. the little infill one or two units. Yeah. It's really expensive. That's then, the hard part. And, and and then you know and you know what what we don't want to do is just put a white modern box on the ground, yeah. right? Because it's not sensitive yeah. to what was there, or who's around it, and like I wonder if you could achieve economy of scale if like a developer if you did like a hundred units, you know, mm-hmm. but on fifty sites, yeah. Like, oh, would yeah. that work? Well, the land just depends on the land costs. <laughs> yeah. Well, land costs, but I mean, like, because, you know, the thing we always find with ADUs, because people are always shocked, like, I don't know, like for us, ADUs, like, cost them 500 grand now, yeah. roughly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just a modest one, yeah, right? 1,100 yeah. square foot. Yeah. And people are kind of shocked by that, like, because the smaller you get, and it's like, well, what if it made it 900 square feet? And it's like, it's probably going to be... 550. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's like affordable it by gets. nature of square footage, not yeah. necessarily cost per square foot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because you have everything like a house has, yeah. you know, right. little tiny site. And then it's hard, like, well, things are getting a little bit, I don't know what you're finding the markets like, you know, things are getting maybe a little yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah. But, I hope so. you know, it's hard to find somebody. How big is it? Forget it. Like yeah. contractors yeah. just passing yeah, on it. that's true. Because it's yeah. too small. Yeah. Um, I deal with it. But there must be a way, I mean, there are like interesting methods, I think that like there was somebody who was trying to do um, this method where you could, I guess the developer would like lease land in people's backyards Mm. Hmm. and do units and that you could, I can't remember what the financial mechanism, they were like alternative financial mechanisms for people to build these buildings in their backyard so you would like lease it i guess but the developer responsible for the construction hmm. it was like a long-term oh, that's lease. interesting yeah, you know, know what i mean almost like a utility lease like yeah, when you yeah. have like a utility huh. um like my friend in canada who owns farmland who's reverting it back to forest he's got like windmills so he leases mm-hmm. he makes 30 grand a year to a windmill company it's like a power wow you know and you could do something like that where it's like the developer yeah. you know what i'm saying yeah, like yeah. i know there was so yeah. group in town that was trying to get something like that off the ground huh. you know so that wasn't on the individual homeowner for doing to right, do it right yeah but yeah. oh i guess that's what the uh when um what do they call them turbines 
Yeah, wind turbines. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's what so, they do now, right? They yeah, right. right. But you do that with that housing, land. right? Yeah. So there's a developer who kind of is responsible for building it, and then you're basically just like leasing the right to use the land, so you don't have to go through this like land huh. sale, yeah, business, huh. you yeah. know, but. That's I think so much of one of the challenges we just with our economy is like so much of the personal wealth is wrapped up in your, I mean, mo for most people, it's their home. It's their yeah. biggest asset. Right. Yeah. And there's a huge pressure to buy more and build bigger, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because of the equity that yeah. you built into that. So that is a difficult, you know, if it yeah. wasn't, then I think like prices would be a little lower and more. Yeah. So I think, yeah, the affordability thing is like, think about a lot, like we rent our office. I don't know, you do, we do too. you do yeah. too, yeah. So I've been trying to get out of that and it's just like hard. It's like, I was trying to buy that property next to me, right? He wants 800 and I'm thinking, okay, well, we'll build something in the backyard at the office and it's like, I'm in for like 1.5 and the staff was like really excited. But then I explained to them, it's like all the money would be going yeah, to that's that. Right. And it's like, forget raises. Was like last year we did, like we went to DC on a retreat. Yeah. Like we took the staff, we went for four days, which is really fun. We visited the Glenstone and yeah. went to the National yeah, Archive so. and stuff like that. And it's just like nice to do those things. And I'm like, we can't do that kind of stuff if, yeah. you know, but. House poor. We are looking, we are thinking about, I mean, that's one thing I'd love to chat with you guys about. Like, I don't know. Well, you're moving to a new office, aren't you? Mm -hmm. you? Yeah. That, that remodel looks cool, by the Thank way. Thank you. Yeah. Jeremy's doing it. Oh, you're doing that? Yeah, it looks really great. Because, um, you know, I live in that and our office is in that area there. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, so I've walk, gone yeah, past that building walk, quite frequently. Walk you through it. Yeah. So you, how much space do you have in there? So you're. We have the top floor, which was 53. 500 ish and we're renting we're subleasing uh some okay. portion so of you're 2500 so that's afford, cool so that's we can nice. afford it <laughs> yeah yeah right right <laughs> or semi afford it i mean i always had this dream like one of the things about austin i never really liked is like coming from toronto new york was like always lived in like old industrial buildings mm -hmm. you know yeah like and it would be cool like, i don't know i just have like would bigger space or something for all it's like we're like an 850 square feet and kind of bursting at the seams well we we were coming from a fallout shelter that was 700 square feet, 700 right? so you know it's so like it's you're like, more people yeah. like how many people are you uh we're what are we we're like know, 10 12 okay yeah, yeah. so you're gonna have tons of space <laughs> yeah. when do you move in that's really exciting or next week next yeah. week wow yeah. all right cool so who's the owner do you own, like michael palumbo okay yeah yeah, he's a developer right. we've worked with. A couple and you times. able to get a deal on your rent? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I think you got charged more. <laughs> really? Yeah, it's a cool spot though. You got the draft horse right yeah, there. Yeah, it'll Taco be nice. Deli, Uchiko, right? Yeah. You know, you got a lot of coal. Yeah, it'll be cool. Uh, we're excited. We just have to get through <laughs> yeah. the time, the current time. So yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. Thank you. I, yeah, cool. I would yeah. love to show you the the office and yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Um, you know, Jeremy asked, Hey, do 